Welcome back to The Francisca Show, a Jewish coffeehouse podcast, the show on which everyday creatives share their unique journeys. I am Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, podcast coach, and also your host. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, everyone. I just want to thank JewishCoffeeHouse.com for being such an amazing platform for us to share these incredible interviews. I also would like to introduce our new guest for this episode, who I booked onto this show in the last 24 hours. And actually, this guest was recommended by one of our awesome listeners. So thank you. You know who you are. We started this series on the women behind the hit songs. And clearly, this reached some hearts and minds. And uh, we got awesome recommendations. And here we have with us Mrs. Dina Storch, who is the writer and composer of some songs that you probably grew up listening to, if you are relatively a millennial. And it's just incredible how, you know, until a few weeks from today, I didn't even know that somebody who's not Mordechai Ben David didn't write that song. And the person who did write that song is an incredible woman and nobody knows who she is. Okay, so I'm a little sidetracked here, but here we go. Introducing the one and only Mrs. Dina Storch. Welcome to the Francisca Show. Thank you, Francisca. It's so nice to be here. Thank you. So I'll just give a little intro here. We chatted about a few minutes ago, and apparently Dina saw me perform as a teenager, maybe even younger than a teenager in the early 2000s when our vocal and a cappella group came traveling abroad with our two-hour show, and she saw us in Lakewood. And this is just so wonderful <laughs> when I get to meet someone who has seen me perform, especially as a child. So tell us how you got started. How did music become a part of your life? Just fill us in through the more major parts of your life, your childhood, and music. So um, as most of my friends and colleagues and fans know, um, I grew up in a family of music and art. My uncle, my mother's brother, was Yom Tverlich. Yom Tverlich uh, was a Yiddish singer who wrote songs back in Russia and Poland and uplifted many, many heartbroken people, came to America, and um, upon the advice of the Stalin Rebbe, um, was encouraged to start the first religious band, and it was called the Stalliner Band, and this was my uncle, Yom Tverlich. And I always grew up with my uncle producing one album after another after another, and being that my grandmother lived with us, and she was his mother, my mother was his sister, so every we got to experience every album in the making. He would come for approval from his mother and his sister, and we all sat around the little phonograph, and we all would make our comments. And so we, we felt the excitement uh, from the time it was just scraps of paper in his pocket until he actually went to the studio in Manhattan and recorded the song and then came back with this big giant record. And we got to listen to it and give the approval so that we could make copies and sell them. And to this day, Yanta Verlach songs are known amongst all the Yiddish-speaking people. I was very fortunate in my later days 
to be able to translate many of his songs. But I'm going to go back to the beginning. So the beginning of my uh, musical career was in first grade when my mother had a piano that only had about three or four working keys. And I seemed to have figured out a song um, called O.D. with those four or five broken keys. And my mother saw the promise in me and she signed me up in second grade for Sunday music clubs in Besiakov of Borough Park. In second grade, I took melodica. In third grade, I took Khalil. In fourth grade, I took accordion. Then my uncle bought me my first accordion and I was in my attic playing and practicing the one song he taught me, which was Simentovu Mazeltov. And somebody walked into my house. It was a Russian couple that were having a kosher wedding. Many of the Russian immigrants that came to America, my mother um, was involved in helping them go to a kosher chuppah. And there was going to be a Sheva brachas for this couple. And somehow I landed as a little fourth grader at the side of the Mechitza. And I only knew how to play Simentov. So I played Simentov for about an hour. And they borrowed me and they returned me home and safe and sound. And that was my first debut. Um, I took guitar in fifth grade. And basically, after that, I was like, um, you know, every time we had to see him, a party in class, I was the one that played. I never thought of um, composing. And um, when I got to ninth grade, first of all, I went into high school and I found in the big auditorium, I found the piano. And my mother's piano was broken. So we didn't have keyboards in those days. So it became my piano for the next four years. And I... Um, had a teacher, uh, a ninth grade literature teacher, Mrs. Adie Frankel, who started uh, telling us the beauty of literature. And we had a literary club with her. My first experience with writing was that she said, everybody close your eyes. And we did. And it was silent in the room. And within a few minutes, she said, now open. And we opened our eyes. And she said, now write. And that was the beginning of my writing career. And to this day, I really feel like I, I need to close my eyes. I need to climb out of the world and into my head. And then all of a sudden, I have my own little world, my own little writing world. You go from being a little girl who explores and finds and discovers the world of writing. How does it feel for you at that point? Do you get encouragement from your family? Do you, how do you continue to, de to develop your your talents? Well, of course, I was shy about it in the beginning. You know, I would kind of sneak it in. Like if we would be sitting around, I had a very, I was very fortunate also to have a very musical class. Um, many of my classmates played guitar. We, we brought our instruments to school. And anytime a teacher was later absent, my principal came in and said, as long as you guys stay in the room, you can do whatever you want. We made mock weddings, we sang and we harmonized. Um, we all taught each other techniques and music. So I was able to kind of sneak things in, in there where I would suddenly start playing something of my own and someone would say, hey, what's that? And I would slowly say, oh, I made it up, you know? So I kind of was very careful. I was treading on little, you know, until I got the approval. Um, I also had friends who composed, girls in my class. Um, so I wasn't, I actually wasn't the first. Um, I'm probably the only one that kept, kept to it and made it my profession. Um, but, uh, I, I was, I was always, and to this day, I really am when I make up a song, 
if it's not for a job, it takes me a while until I actually am comfortable um, singing it to the public because I never know how it's going to be accepted. That's so interesting. But when you write for pay, then you can deliver right away? Well, it's usually not in person when it's in pay. So it's much easier to get the critis- criticism, you know, on, on email. Um, yeah. And if it's, if, if, if I'm not so connected, I can handle, I can handle the, them not liking something. Right. Okay. So take us to your first big break. What was that like? How did that shift things for you? Um, well, it, you know, I, I noticed when you were interviewing the other um, wonderful people like Chayla Newhouse and Ram Israeli, I just, I, I told you last, this morning that I couldn't sleep all night because I listened to one interview after another. And then I just started thinking about, you know, wow, look what Miriam did and look what Chayla did and, and, and look what I did. And it was just very, very exciting. But, you know, it, it, the, the question is, what is a big break? What does a big break mean? Um, because in the world of females, we can go public without being public. So this is something that I tried to convince and I was successful. Um, when I did put out an album in 2009 with Avrami Flam, and I needed to convince him that 50% of the population knows my songs. So I'm not putting out something new. So when you say, when was my first break? My first break really was, I guess, when um, when I made up Colorware songs, when I was approached by the Geo heads to make up the songs for them, when somebody needed a song and they said, go to Dina Storch. And I guess if you want to say publicly in the outside of camp and school, um, when I got the call from Rabbi Yosef Chaim Golding of JEP saying we're putting out JEP 4 and we're running out of, of songs from the boys camps, because the boys' color war songs were basically the songs on the Jep albums. And somebody said, why don't you call Campanos? And they called Campanos, and Campanos directed them to me. And he called me, and I had just performed a song called Someday, and it was nothing to do with the Someday that we know. It was basically a story of a boy that was kidnapped, and his brother was singing, Someday We Will All Be Together. And Papa will be there to greet you, and Mama will give you a kiss, and David and I will stand by and smile. So someday, I just quickly grabbed the song, and I just scratched out some words that were specifically for that. And then I replaced them and made them a little bit more generic. And then I took the theme of people being oppressed and people hoping for a better future. And then it became a song. But really, it was a song. It was already a hit song before I gave it to him, and that's why I chose it. Your peers and schools and camps knew that this was your gift, and they came to you, and you you were the go-to person for writing songs. Right. As a matter of fact, when I go to a wedding with my friends, my old classmates, and they hear them singing someday at the end of the wedding, they go, that's our song. That's our song from Bisiago High School. You know, they're not giving it up. You know, <laughs> so yeah, there's ours and then there's theirs. And ours is like the female world. Many times, you know, even when I put out my album and it was beautifully done by men, a lot of my friends say, but I like ours better. You know, so so um, making a break for me um, is really just like when, when somebody meets me and says, 
you know, or somebody called me last night and says, my daughter comes home every day and says she hears your voice in the classroom and she wants to take piano lessons with you because she's just so comfortable with you. And I don't know this girl and this girl doesn't know me. Um, to me, that's a break. That's beautiful. You know, that I've made an, Im- that I've meant, I've made an impact. I've, I've, I've made an impact on people I don't even know. Yeah. Is that what you do day to day lessons? Um, yeah, I, um, right now I, I moved out of the music in the schools Um, I am available whenever they need me to accompany the teachers for performances. And once in a while I'll go and do a a Hanukkah sing-along or Rosh Hashanah sing-along. Um, but I, I left the music in the classroom once a week. Well, actually not once a week. Each class had me once a week, but I was working every day. Um, I left that a couple of years ago and now I'm just kind of sticking to the, um, piano lessons, guitar lessons in the evenings at home which I thought I would not enjoy as much as I am. I love the variety of ages and stages of people and and the one-on-one and what I'm giving them. And at the same time, I'm available for all schools that need my input, any musical input into their curriculum. So um, we'll speak about that a little bit later. I, I have a lot of projects that are taking place in the schools. So yes, my music is um, definitely has slanted into the educational um, uh, niche. Right. And that's definitely a comfortable space that many musicians find themselves in. Let me ask you this. So I know there's a backstory to the someday song. And I'm right. I'm also curious if that's connected to somehow with you not being able to sleep last night after listening to those interviews with Haile Newhouse, Mary Mizraeli, and maybe some other women. I'd like to touch on some of the topics that we talked that we talk a lot on this podcast is what is it like being behind the scenes? What is it like for you not being the able or not being able to to be the one to share your songs? You need a man to really spread your music. And maybe there are no negative feelings around it. I have mixed feelings. Sometimes negative, sometimes positive. Um, and when you said needing a man to spread my music, that's my question always. Do I need a man? And I'm back and forth and back and forth. One part of me says, you know, go to the men, give them your songs. Then the second part says, they're not going to do it the way you want it. Then the third thing says, just do it with women. But then if I do it with women then that kind of closes doors and it doesn't become as public. And then um, being in the state of not knowing, I basically have done nothing. <laughs> um, my dream, my dream would be to do singles and let, let each song take its course so I can throw it out to a woman, I can throw it out to a man. It wouldn't make a difference to me because I would be working. My, my dream is to get all the singers that have ever sung my songs for me and tell everybody, pick a song out of my 650 songs and just pick a song, work on it. I'll meet you in the studio and we're doing a single. And then deciding what I want to do. I have very small, um, I have very small goals. I don't need the flashing lights. I don't need the stage. It doesn't make me excited. As a matter of fact, I find it a little bit, um, it gets in the way. When I have a song that I love and I go to a concert and I watch somebody up on stage, they kind of like stifle that song for me. I'd much rather listen to something and enjoy where it takes me in my mind 
And when I see all the flashing lights and I see all the, um, all the hype and everybody singing along and screaming and yelling and whistling, um, it's, it's disturbing to me because some of my songs, most of my songs have neat thinking. So I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> um, I put on a performance once. It was called Nostalgia Night. I lived out of the town. I live at, sorry, I lived out of town most of my married life. Where? So I got married in 1980. I, I got married in 1980. I lived in St. Louis for six years. Then I moved to Brooklyn for two years and ran to Cleveland, Ohio for another 11 years and then landed in Lakewood. So um, when I came back to Lakewood, um, I was basically a name on a, on a playbill because I would create songs and send them out. And everybody saw my name on the back of playbills, but they never really met me. And then I started meeting people on the street and girls from camp and people that were my choirs. And they said, we must get together and sing. We must sing. We must sing. Now, I didn't have such a need to sing because I do this all the time. But everybody just said, if Dina's here, how can we not take advantage? And at that, that year, my husband opened the yeshiva, Yeshiva Nasivasar. And I said to him, I don't know how to help you. The only thing I can do for a fundraiser is make a concert. So I put together, um, it was three years that we put together a performance called Nostalgia Night. And everybody was giving me ideas of what to do. And I said, I want it to be very simple. I had two choirs. One was a choir of any women that wanted to be in it. Another was a choir of the girls that went to Campanos. So they knew the songs that I was teaching them. They would meet in my house um, twice a week. My poor husband would call and say, can I come home? And I would say, they don't want to leave. What should I do? <laughs> the ladies would say, this is cheap therapy. They would just sit and sing and sing and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm doing this again. They got up on stage. The oldest member was a woman in her 60s who made it so chashiv to be, to be in this performance. And, um, and the performance was basically just different venues and different memories of, of songs that I've done. And the beauty was that some people were in my choirs only two years before and some were 20 years before and some had never been in my choir. And um, we brought the performance to Brooklyn and an old school friend of mine came. Uh, she told me later on, she called me. She said, I came with my little paper bag and my popcorn and my can of soda like I was going to a school performance. And the curtain opened and I just expected to see some kind of glitter and glimmer. And I saw nothing. I saw two women <laughs> get up on stage and there was a very blah, blah, you know, scenery in the background. And she said, I said, uh-oh, I don't know if I made a mistake by buying a ticket for this performance. And then she said, I took a look to my left and I took a look to my right and I saw these older women. I'm going to mention one of them, Mrs. Henny Meisel's Aleha Shalom. Rabbi Meisel's from Sarishnira's wife. And she said, I saw her glued to the stage and I said, I must be missing something. So I put my popcorn away. I put my can of soda away. I put the little paper bag on the floor and I closed my eyes. And all of a sudden she said, I was just hooked because I was waiting for something that was not going to be there. And all of a sudden, everything else, the token, the, the, the beauty of the harmonies, the beauty of what the ladies were performing and presenting didn't need all the fancy, you know, shtick and props and everything. So basically, um, my, my dream would be to make a website where somebody can just say, I want a Dina Storch song on Bitachon and three songs pop up. And then some of them might be for women only, and some of them might be songs by men. It doesn't really matter. Um, 
that that's where I envision, in other words, putting out an album for me at this point, I did put out an album and it, it really went over very, very well. It was just a lot of work. Um, and, um, I really want to share my songs. And at the same time, I am sharing my songs because that they are moving around and they're, they're going places. Okay. So let's just talk practically speaking. You have 650 songs or approximately or over 650. Where are they currently and in what state of production? Where are they? In what state of production as far as are they out publicly? Are they in schools? And if so, is it a recording from a phone? Like, I'm just trying to gauge. Right. So the only the only thing professional that I've done is my album, There's a Place in My Mind, with 10 songs with Avrami Flam and Dove Levine and Yehuda singing. Um, and my sister and I put out a Hanukkah album in 1981 called Hanukkah once again. And other than that, there's nothing that I've put out in a professional form. However, when schools call me, sometimes I give them something that's professional enough to be attached to a video. Um, so my, the songs that I, that I give out are usually of lesser quality. I don't perfect them because my goal is not that they're just for the listener to listen, but it's really more for the teacher or the choir leader to teach them to her girls. Sometimes they use my recordings and sometimes they just use my recordings to learn the songs and to teach them. When it comes to performances, I'm called all the time from all the different schools. Um, we need a song. Uh, we heard that you made up this song. Do you have a song for us on this and this topic? And um, over the year, I, I try very hard not to write new songs because I have so many songs. Um, so I would say that every year um, I supply schools with scripts with songs um, and with any music for a curriculum. Okay, so let me take this a little deeper. Do you know every song you've ever written? <laughs> Do I know every song? We I have it logged. You have a database. I, I have a database. I have it logged. Um, I'm missing a couple and I have a little note for myself to say, call so-and-so to find out what the words are because like if I made a, uh, five songs for Camp Gila, so I once called a girl in Camp Gila and I said, could you guys just do me a favor and sit down and sing the songs because I don't remember the tunes. Um, it's scary. Yeah, sometimes I don't, I don't have all of them. Um, but generally, if I go through my database, um, yeah, 90% of what I have, I have. And you record them on your phone? So um, the original ones were recorded on tape recorder. And then I had a very fancy uh, recording system called Tascam, where one side of the tape had a half of the ribbon and the other half of the uh, side of the tape. No, I'm sorry. It, it didn't go two-sided. It only went one-sided, but you had four tracks. So I was able to record and then record above it and then record above that. And now they're basically just collecting dust. And... Um, yeah, over the years, I've sat, sometimes got really into it with my tape recorder and connected an audio cable. Now I got smarter and I found a lady who transfers tapes to CDs every once in a while. I give her about, you know, 20 tapes and I, you know, bring them onto my, so yeah, I have a whole file on my computer called transfers from tapes. So some of them are staticky, some of them are just, but, you know, just so that I don't lose the tune. Um, 
what was your question? I'm just trying to remember what I was just curious as how do you track them? And do you remember them? If, if we talk about the financial or monetization part, which I love to do on the show, just to give a little context to what a life like this looks like. So what do camps and schools pay you if they pay you at all to use your songs or, you know, someday, did you get paid for that? Initially, I didn't get paid for it. Um, initially, I was told that if I get, uh, they'll send me a receipt for tax purposes, but I was all of 19, so my taxes were not really... Uh, <laughs> a receipt for what? Uh, $75, I guess, or something, you know, that, because I, I... Oh, a receipt saying that I donated the song, but I don't think they gave me an amount. They told me that it would be done as a chesed, and then Mordechai ben David was also singing as a chesed. I didn't think twice about it because um, I just didn't think about it. But years later, when MBD walked off with my song someday, I did send him a letter and I wrote to him that I appreciate what he's done with the song someday. And I realized that it's really become a hit and it's become his song. And that I do feel very uncomfortable when people compliment me on a song. And deep down underneath, I feel very um, kind of sidestepped in the sense that you you walked away with my song and I got nothing from it. And I understand they didn't pay you as well as so they didn't pay me. And I did get a check in the mail from him saying, I'm not going to try to excuse myself or explain myself, but I just want to thank you very much for um, the song that you've con contributed that has become NCSY's theme song and uh, everybody else's. And I, I felt that, you know, I just cleared the air and I let him know that I don't know how this happened. At the same time, before then, I never told him that I was upset about. And he did nothing wrong because he was just singing a song that he sang for free. Right. And, uh, you know, I think we all do it. We all do it. And, and I, I try to be careful about it. But I find myself singing Chayla songs. And um, every once in a while, I, I say, you know, I really should check with Chayla if she's OK when I give her song you know, um, Ne Rochelle Tion, when I give it to a student of mine in a piano lesson or I teach it to a class, you know, do I check with her and say, is it okay if I use it? Um, you know, we, 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 we're also guilty of doing something. You know, there's a general feeling out there that if something is already out, then it's free. Uh, I've, had, I've had a situation where I was speaking to a principal of a school and she didn't want to pay me for a song. And she said, it's an old song. Why do I have to pay you? So I said, because you have to pay me a minimal amount because there's, there's time involved. I just spoke to you on the phone for three, three times until I found the song you wanted. So she said, well, we asked the Rav and he said that 20 years after a song, uh, 20 years after a song comes out, it, it doesn't belong to the writer anymore. And she, she gave me an example of Shlomo Kalbach's song. So I said, there's one difference. Shlomo Kabach is not alive to tell you that he's Makbid, and I'm alive to tell you that I'm Makbid, that you don't use my song without paying. So I, I was a little bit strong. Um, it, it is hard when a, when a school calls me and they have 25 girls in the school, and they so badly want to do something that's on a high level. And sometimes I say, you know what, just take it, but find, find the song yourself and call listen to this person and get the recording, and I won't charge you anything. Um, it's, it's very hard for me to set a high price. What, what I feel more comfortable doing is charging people for my time. So when people ask me for my work, 
um, if it's a new song, well, like I said, I don't like to write new songs, but even if it's a new song, I'll tell them that I charge a certain amount per hour. And then um, if you want, I'll try to cap it at five hours. Um, rather than somehow when I used to give a high price for a project, it just stressed me out too much. And I felt like if they're paying me an awful lot of money, then it just put me into an expectation that just was stressing me. So I'd rather say, charge me, I just charge for my time. There is so much here that I want to unpack. Number one, did you feel satisfied or like you were able to conclude that situation or whatever feelings you had when Mordechai Ben David Ben David sent you that check? Did you feel like it was enough? I'll never know if it was enough because I I don't have I don't have very high visions of money. Um, I'm not in the concert field. But did it feel good for you, or did it still? F- it felt it felt right. The mount felt right. Did it feel good? It felt right. It felt right. Okay. You know, you can't put it. You can't put an amount on something that someone had success with. You can't say, in hindsight, how do we know it would have been such a hit? So to come back and say, well, I didn't know if I would have known, I would have charged more money. Well, that's why in the mainstream world, there's this concept of royalties. And in terms of what the rabbi said, there is 70 years, 70 years after the death of the writer, the song goes into public domain. Well, she told me 20 years after it's written. So you see how the 70 became 20? And the birth of the song versus the death of the artist. That's also a big distinction. Right. Yeah, I don't know if I go to um, legal advice on royalties to rabbis, but it's an interesting story. Another thing I would love to address is that that you don't want to write more songs. (laughs) That's just fascinating to me because everyone I know is, of course, that's what I want to keep doing. And the more I do it, the better I'll get. And who knows, maybe I'll write. I'll have another hit after that. So the way you're speaking, you're like, I maxed out my talent. Now make sure to use it up here. <laughs> well, what well, woman, well, I have to take that back. I didn't max out my talent because I'm doing other things with my creativity. Like what? So right now, schools are calling me, right? And the school just gave me a Bayer Tefillah program of the entire chakras. And with the translation, and I created a tune, sometimes a tune that exists, and sometimes I made my own tune, but you have to match up the correct pronunciation, the Havarana Chona. You have to, it has to make sense, right? You have to move around the translation so that it fits. And it took me uh, a good year to put together this beautiful Bayard Fila program, which now schools are going to be using. And the kids are going to be sitting in class and saying, Ashrei Yoshvei Vesecha, lucky are the people, whatever, I don't remember the tune, right? And, and, and it's mine, you know? And even if it's not my tune, but it's my work. Um, just, just this week, I got a call from a school and she said, we're doing Animamin. Our theme is the 13 Animamins. And we made a coloring book for our primary and first graders. And we have a little basic song for each page. And it's the tune of Haderes Vehemuna. And could you record it for us? And while I recorded it, of course, I did a little shtick. Who knows? Who knows? I agree. Yes. You know, and I made up a whole bunch of different things. And I did harmony and I did different. Um, and I presented it. And now these little girls will be coloring an entire year in their Muna book. And it'll be me singing 
And again, when I say before, when you asked me, like, did I ever produce? I don't call that producing something because I don't like to make it that it's flawless because I feel that it's educational. So it's like, um, like Uncle Moishi, you know, he can croak a little bit. You know, I, I just feel always that when it's educational, it doesn't have to be top, top quality. And I don't want to put the extra hours in, into the detail, um, but it's good enough for the kids. The kids love it. They enjoy it. And um, so that's a project that they're doing. In the school that I worked, I created 13 Animamen songs. I created 39 Lamates Malachos, one song for each halacha. Um, I made up songs for Masil Yasharm. I made a different tune for each of the Shir Hamalos. Um, so that's my new um, educational, and, and that's something that's really going out to the children, where kids are coming home on a school bus, and they're singing Animamen on top of their lungs as they're driving, you know, um, riding home from school. It, it's just, it, it gives me a lot of, um, as an educator, it, it gives me a lot of seapook to see that my work is going to children. It's really beautiful. And just to add, so when you record these curriculums, these musical curriculums, what are you using? Are you going into a studio or are you using your phone? Do you have a microphone? I have GarageBand. I have an Apple computer and I have a mini um, studio. Um, it's not very well perfected, but it's good enough for me. It's it's perfect. You know, I it actually reminds me, and just a few days ago, my aunt asked me about a program I did, a, a musical curriculum I did for a school in St. Louis, happens to be. That's funny. To a bunch of parquet avos. And some tunes were mine, some tunes were famous tunes that... I used, and I don't even know how it works with using other people's tunes. But I also recorded it on GarageBand, and I sent it to them. Totally not perfect. I would not release it as my album releases. Let's just put it that way. And that just resurfaced again as a project that I totally forgot I ever was involved in. So it's definitely very... It's it's an excellent tool for education. Right. Well, I always tell people, I, I think the educator in me has made me a better music teacher and the musician in me has made me a better teacher because I incorporated both into my, you know, when I was a teacher, every Friday was like the English teacher would come in and she couldn't handle the class because I had just routed them up with Arab Chavez songs. And um, I always did art and I always did music. It was just incorporated into my classrooms. Um so, um, you know, that's something that I'd like very much to to like to contribute to start like adding performing arts into the curriculum of schools and helping teachers, you know, make a tune to this. Or why don't you act out this little um, parakinavi so that it won't be so boring for the girls, you know, um, tell the kids to make up a song. I love that very much. And I also want to address something you said before earlier about not being able to price what you do and also being strong when schools are like, but that's old work, that's, you know. It's, it's a very hurtful comment also, just because something was done in the past doesn't mean it doesn't have to be paid for. And, well, just kudos to you for sticking up for yourself and speaking up. And I know maybe the monetization or the numbers itself may be not something you're comfortable talking about or... You, you might not even know what the number should be. But let me ask you this. Do you feel like you, you get the honor, respect, and recognition for the work that you do and that what you have created is extremely unique? 
and it is extremely valuable and that you know not not anyone or everyone can create something like like what you did do you, do you feel like you have that I do have that and I feel like in this field I definitely am the leader and the teacher um I don't feel any competition with any of the other um, composers and singers. I feel that um, the, my strength in education um, will always have somebody choose me above somebody else. Um, even if my music is not up to par, somebody else who's a better musician might come in, but they can't figure out how in the world to get the kids to sing together. So they might be better, but they're sitting there playing flowery music when the kid needs to hear that bang or that kid needs to hear that one, two, three, go. You know, I, I, did, a, I did a Yom Eon with 12th graders and one girl came over and said, Mrs. Storch, I heard the bang and I knew it was you. I play very educationally. I lead my singers. I play with kumzitzes. So everybody, you can't even go off if you wanted to when I'm playing. I, I carry you with my music. I bang, I, I do the rhythm, there's drumming in my playing. I, I, hold, I hold the song. Um, and that's something that, that I feel that, um, I, I, I feel that, um, you know, I, I definitely am the leader in, in that area and I've been trying to teach that to other music teachers. Where when you're playing along with children that are presenting or a choir that's performing, you are the one that's the conductor, so to speak, from your piano seat. Just another example of how one person is given five jobs that's impossible to do all at once just because, you know, this is what's expected of right. anyone in education. Put on 10 hats and do it all. I have many, many of my you know, friends that I meet say, when I sing off key, uh, my my girls start saying, Ma, you sing so off-key. She says, no way. Dina Storch said, I know how to sing. <laughs> and many times I literally, like when a kid was off-key, I just banged that key so hard on the piano until the girl had no choice, and she just had to sing that key. Like she didn't even know what she was doing. I have another little trick that I call cushioning, um, where if a girl in my choir is singing, I, I don't like to choose choir choir members in Campanos. They're 16, 17 years old. And I feel that if a girl signs up at that age for a choir, she really wants to be in the choir. And most girls at that age know that they can't sing. But we unfortunately do get usually one. And I tell the girls on either side, just sing into her ear. Keep singing into her ear and cushion her. She won't even know what she's doing. She's just copying whatever she hears. And most of the time it works. Um, so we have little tricks so that everybody really does get a chance to shine in my choirs. I love that. If there's anything you can share with anyone listening to you today, what would that be? I guess hearts feel hearts. You know, when the music comes from your heart and you're singing it to people, they, they feel that pull, they feel that energy and they just connect to you. And it doesn't matter, you know, if you're dancing, it doesn't matter if you have your props and all your fancy lights. 
And then I put on my reading glasses and I can't see the words. And then the light is shining on me. You know, I have all these little, uh, you know, old lady handicaps now. And, you know, my biggest fear is I'm going to put on my glasses and then the light's going to shine on me. And then the microphone's in my way. And then I can't even see the words. And I don't even try to memorize the words of my song. But when the heart sings, when you sing from the heart, the heart feels. And somehow by the end of the night, everybody just feels like, Somebody came to me, Matzah Shabbos, and she says, your house is so therapeutic. <laughs> she said, just being here. And then last night, a new student I had called me, and she said, I left your house, a new person. I forgot about my problem. She said, I'm ready for my next lesson. And to me, that is like, if I can alleviate and, and give somebody uh, healthy distractions from their day-to-day -day stresses, then, you know, I'm in. Yeah, you know, I've been in denial that Jewish celebrities are held to a Rebbitzin standard sometimes, but I've embraced it and I understand where it comes from and I there's responsibility that comes with it as well. Right. right. I just want to spend a few minutes talking about uh, your memories seeing the Russian choir that I was in perform. Back in the 2000s. I want you to tell I want to tell you that when I saw your name, I said I've seen this name before. And I, I said, I bet she was in that choir. I, I just like somehow I just connected it. But I will tell you that I got a call from somebody saying that Mrs. Pinter was coming with a group of girls from Russia. And it's really a mitzvah to go to their performance. Like, you know, they really, it, it, it would really give them a lot of chizuk. And a whole bunch of us went as a mitzvah <laughs> to come and support you guys. And we walked out. And we said, who did who a mitzvah? <laughs> we walked out of there so inspired. We had never seen such talent and such, as we say also, the heart. The, the singing was so, um, I'm going to say the word simple, but it wasn't simple. But even the, sim the simplicity of the, the individual solo voices and the way it was put together, it was so not wild and it was so not American. And it, it really just spoke, spoke to our hearts. And it was, it was really very, very heartwarming. Um, for, for months after that, I didn't stop talking about it. We bought the CDs, we took them home, we played them over and over again. My girls and I just always sang those songs and we, it was an unbelievable experience where we bought a ticket to be nice and we came home having really, it, the girls outdid themselves. Every, everything that was said and that was presented at that show was just like smooth sailing. So perfect and, and so well done. I agree. I, I agree. We worked so hard on, on these concerts, on these shows. And I know my mother's going to be so happy to hear this because I know so many people put so much sweat and tears into these shows. So I'm happy. It's so nice to hear nice words about it years and years later. And if you could send me, I, I don't have that recording anymore, but I would love, I don't know what I did with it. I think I might still have the cover. <laughs> if you can send me any of those songs, I would love to, sh to, to share it with my mother. We really enjoyed it. I might have a few still CDs, so I'll get your mailing address. Wow. Wow. So two things I've learned over this episode. Number one, well, not just over this episode, but over doing these, these interviews. One, there's this constant theme of going out to see women or girls perform for a mitzvah 
or to raise money or out of that obligation place, not out of, and it makes sense if you don't know who's performing, why should you go out to see them? And it makes sense. But there is this underlying theme going on in the women's entertainment space. Maybe it's also in the male as well. And anyone listening, I'd love to hear what you think. I have a new forum on Schmoozy, and I want the audience being more engaged now, letting me know what they're thinking, because we have so many interviews here and so much information. I'd love to actually take this to the next level. My second observation is, and I learned this from you today, a, a way to feel super, super fulfilled, connected, and famous, so to speak, as a musician, using the educational platforms and the educational system is a fantastic way to grab that. And I know many singers out there are going to camps and are performing at chagigas, at schools. But using what you're doing through the educational systems, that's how you get a generation growing up on your music. You know, if you're looking for non-celebrity but real impact here, this is a beautiful tool that is created within our organization, within our communities, that anyone looking to capitalize on these specific things should know that the educational system is a fantastic way for that to happen. I wanted to share another story with you. My good friend Miriam Lapidus called me up and she goes to, um, I forgot the name of the camp in near Chicago. Um, and she she takes care of the davening in the camp. And every year she calls me right before the summer and says, give me a tune for Hallelujah or give me another tune for this because I want to incorporate something new. So I gave her a new tune for one of the tefillos that she didn't yet use. And then she says, well, for this and this tefillah, we sing this and this this way. Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzvakos. I said, Miriam, I love it. I love it. Could you send it to me? She says, I'm so happy to send it to you. You do me so many favors. I'm so happy to, that I can give you a tune. So I said, do me a favor, call me on my phone and sing it. So she called me back on my phone and sang it. And then the next week I opened my computer and I go through my Tefillah songs. And there's me singing the same song. It actually came from me and to someone else and she got it. And it's not my tune. So it's not like I take great pride in the fact, but it was just interesting how what goes around comes around. And I had given it to a school and the school sang it, the teacher sang it, sang it to Miriam, Miriam sang it to me. And I said, oh, I love it. Could you give it to me? And then it was mine, you know? So I, I do get a lot of, um, you know, nachas from that. Yes, nachas is a perfect word to summarize this. Well, it was so beautiful chatting with you today. Thank you so much for Same coming here. on. And thank you for your wonderful work. And I'm, I'm really excited to listen to some more interviews tonight, but I'll do it a little earlier this time. <laughs> That's a wonderful idea. Thank you, Dina. Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe. And if you're listening on an iPhone, leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to reach out about my music, coaching, or podcast services, email me at franciscak at gmail.com. Also, check out the show notes for all the links. See you next time.